So I'm a person that's uh, drawn to like goal setting and personal achievement and life planning and those kinds of things. Uh, smart goals, maybe you've heard of that. Um, and one of the most common exercises that people will have you do in these type of things comes from Stephen Covey. And uh, the exercise is to envision uh, your own funeral. And you, and you begin to envision the different relationships that you have, the different roles that you've had, and you envision what you want, would want people to say about you at your funeral. Uh, you know, for example, your, what would you want your family to say about you, your, your church or your friends or your coworkers, um, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's morbid, but it's a very powerful thing to think about that can help you live differently. But I had a revelation about this recently, and I, and, I, and I realized several weeks ago that this exercise does not actually envision the right thing. See, because a funeral is not the final end of our lives. The final end of our life will be standing before Jesus Christ. It will be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. We talked about this last week in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of, of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So that's the day. That's the day that should get most, if not all of our focus and attention because that's the only day that will really matter. The only day. So what do you want Jesus to say about how you lived your life? What would you want him to say about how you treated your spouse, or your family, your friends, your church? What would you want him to say about how you maximize or didn't maximize your kingdom potential in this life? Did you live for the Father's will or did you live for yourself? What evaluation would you want to hear from the Lord? Let me remind you that we are not saved by works, but we will be evaluated on them. We will be rewarded for them. We're saved by grace but we will give an account of what we have done. And Jesus told a story about this, about a master who entrusted some servants with different bags of gold. And he is pleased with the two servants who maximize, they invest the, the gold that they were given and they get a return for their master. And the master is very pleased because they were proved trustworthy with the things that they, the master entrusted them with. So when we stand before the Lord on that final day, we want to have lived a life of maximizing our kingdom potential so that we can hear the well done, my good and faithful servant from the Lord. We want to be able to say that whatever he put us in charge of, we were faithful with that. We don't have to worry about what someone else was put in charge of. We worry about what God has given us. You know, we're in, we're in week three of our sermon series called The Return, focusing on the return of Christ and Last week, I mentioned that one of the main things about Jesus' return is that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's what Christians have always believed. And I mentioned that last week that this morning's sermon was going to be all about action, all the things that we can do to be prepared for that day. What can we do to prepare for the most important day of your life? It's so important. That's the question we're asking today. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at ways that we can be prepared. Now, in chapter 1 of this letter, Peter says he's reminding them of things that they already know, that the church already knows. And the apostle Peter, you know, he's a wise pastor, and he, and he knows that often we don't need to be told anything new. 
Sometimes you just need to be reminded, actually often, we just need to be reminded of what is most important. And nothing could be more important than some of the things I'm going to communicate you to, to you today. And I'm, so I'm going to re- remind you of a lot of things. And I am doing something that I have never done before in, a, in my years of preaching, in youth ministry and my, my pastor right here. I have 10 points for this sermon. And some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, what's wrong with Nate? This, this whole quarantine season is making him lose his mind. What is he doing? But you know what? God had 10 commandments. So I feel like I'm pretty good, pretty good company. I'm going to have 10 points today. And uh, I'm, I'm giving you these because I believe these are all things that we need, we need to be reminded of so that we can be prepared for the most important day of our lives. When Jesus Christ returns and we stand before him Facebook face to face. So how can we be prepared? Number one, we need to provoke one another in Christ. Provoke each other. And I'm going to explain what that means. It's kind of an intense word. We need to encourage one another. Uh, but what Peter says in verse one, he says, dear friends, this is my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders, he says, to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Now, the Apostle Peter was the, a rock of the church. He's a wise pastor. And he says, I want to, to stimulate your mind to think about the right things. Now, in the Greek, this word to stimulate, it means to, to rouse somebody who's sleeping, to, to wake them up, to stir them awake. That's what we need. We, that's what we need from one another in the church, to rouse each other, to wake each other up, to stimulate one another, to be thinking about the right things with our lives. Because the enemy and the world around us will lull you to sleep. They will get you to focus on the things of this world, the things that are passing away, the things that will make no difference in eternity. You'll get so fixated on. And it'll it'll be like you're asleep in your spiritual life. Unless you have people in your life waking you up to what's most important. So we need brothers and sisters who will provoke us and awaken us. You know, sometimes our, our three-year-old Daisy, she has learned how to wake us up, actually. Uh, she's, she'll, she knows to come into our room. We have a fan that we use every night. She turns the fan off. She will take the, the curtains in the room and throw the curtains open and say, Mom and Dad, wake up! We're like, oh my goodness, it's not time that we want to wake up. But sometimes she's up before us. But she knows she has to t- do m- multiple steps to rouse us, to wake us up. You know, it's, it's kind of cute but it's not very pleasant, right? It's kind of cute, but it's not very pleasant. But that's what we need. And that's what we need from our brothers and sisters in Christ. It may not always be pleasant, but we need people who will wake us up from our sleep. We have to remember what's most important. In fact, the writers of Hebrews said this, let us consider how we may spur, or in the King James it says provoke, how we may provoke one another towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Hope we're not doing that during this time. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as what? As you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord. As you see that getting closer, encourage each other all the more. Provoke one another. And, Paul, and, and the NIV uses the word spur and that the spur is like the, the spur in a cowboy boot where the, the, you know, the cowboy to, you know, jabs the spur into the horse and that's what spurs the, the horse to go fast and to move, right? And that's what we need. 
from, from each other, to keep gathering with your small group, to keep gathering as a church virtually, to keep being together so that we can spur each other on as we see the day of the Lord approaching. This is why the early covenant, covenanters asked, how goes your walk? How goes your walk? Because we wanted, they wanted to be intentional about the walk that we have in Jesus Christ to spur each other on. So we want to make sure that we're encouraging each other and if we want to be ready for that day. So if you want to be ready to see Jesus, do you have anyone in your life that's spurring you on, that's sharpening you, that's challenging you, that's doing something to wake you up and reminding you of what's most important? That's what we need. So that's number one. We need to provoke, provoke one another in Christ. Number two, we need to ponder frequently that Christ will return unexpectedly. We ponder frequently that Christ will return unexpectedly. This is what uh, Peter is getting at in verses 3 through 10 in the text. Now, in this context, the Apostle Peter, he's been responding to uh, some false teaching that's been going on in the church. And there are some people who are saying, where is this coming that Jesus promised? I mean, even back then they were asking, seems like the world's going on as it is. Uh, is Jesus really going to come again? Probably not. And they were saying that because they didn't want to face judgment for their sins. They were indulging in their evil desires. Uh, but Peter reminds them uh, of the story of, of Scripture. And he basically says, remember the flood? It seemed like the world was going on as it always had been gone on, but suddenly, unexpectedly, God judged the world with a flood. That's why he says in verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. I mean, this is sobering, sobering words to hear. But Peter says judgment is coming. In verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord, that day of judgment, it's going to come like a thief. And this is, and he got this from Jesus because this is how Jesus referred to his second coming. It's going to be like a thief. And it's going to be sudden, unexpected, without a clear warning. You know, the Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, the guy that actually kind of started the Bible reading plan our church has been on, uh, he used to ask people, do you think Jesus Christ will return today? And most people would reply, oh, no, not today. And then McShane would say, well, then my friend, you had better be ready because he's coming at such an hour as ye think not. You gotta be ready. You know, and Tim, Tim Keller gives an illustration where he talks about professors that he had when he was in uh, seminary, I believe it was. And, you know, he had some professors who would lay out uh, all the test dates in advance. You know, you're going to have the, the, the quarter test here, the, mid, the midterm here. Here's your final exam. And then he would have other pre professors who would give all, all pop quizzes. They wouldn't tell you at all when any exam would be. And can you guess which classes Tim Keller learned more in? The ones where it was pop quizzes. Why? Because he always had to be prepared. Because any day, any class, any time he showed up, there could be a quiz. And so it forced the class to study more. And, and in the Lord's wisdom, this is how the world is. There will be a sudden pop quiz of how we've been living our life. See, you can't cram for your life's final exam. It's not going to work that way. You can't just fit it all in at the end. No, because it's going to come at a time you don't expect. It's going to be a pop quiz. You have to be ready. So do you think that Jesus Christ will return today? Would you be ready if he returned today? If today was your last day, would you be ready to stand before him? 
That's one of the most important questions you could ask because any day could be our last. So we need to live for Christ. That's number two. Number three, we need to pursue holiness and godliness. Pursue holiness and godliness. Peter says in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. The standard for the Christian is God's character of holiness and godliness. God, you know, it says in the scripture, be holy as I am holy. We are God's holy people. That's our identity. You know, and I, I think our, our reflex in the Christian world is to think of holiness as primarily separation from sin. Um, and and that's, that's good. Uh, but we also need to remember that it's, there's positive qualities that we are to emulate that God has, that God is calling us to imitate and this is what Peter uh, said actually earlier in the letter that I want to bring back up to you now. He says, we have these precious promises that we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corru corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. These are the characters, the, the characteristics that we are to pursue with every effort. Do you want to be prepared for judgment day? Make every effort to add these qualities in increasing measure in your life. Ask you a question. How much effort would you say you're putting into your own discipleship right now? How much energy resources, time, money are you investing into your discipleship? Do you want to be ready for that day? How much are you investing? Make every effort, Peter says. That's number three. Number four, we need to put all your hope, put all your hope in his coming. Put all your hope in his coming. Peter says in verse 11, you, you ought to live holy and godly lives. And verse 12, as you look forward to the day of God, and speed is coming. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about this particular point because we talked about the hope of Christ last week, the hope of his return. Um, but Peter says we are to look forward to this day. There's an eager expectation. There's an, there's an anticipation of what it will be like when Jesus comes again. And so what we need to do is we need to repent of the hope that we have placed in other things. We need to re repent and change our mind to repent of the hope that we have placed in our own plans for the future, in our own goals, in our own dreams. Uh, because our one hope in life and death is that we belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that he will return to establish his kingdom. So are you looking forward? Are you eagerly awaiting Jesus' return? If not, you may have placed your hope in something else. And that's something to ask the Lord about. To give, ask the Lord to give you discernment in that area. What are you placing your hope in other than, other than him? Should be him, him alone. So that's number four. Number five, we need to practice good deeds eagerly. Practice good deeds eagerly. Now in verse 13, Peter says that uh, the new heavens and new earth, it's gonna be a place where righteousness dwells. 
And if that's the case, righteousness should characterize our lives now. And one of the ways that Jesus expects us to live is a life that is overflowing with practical good deeds of love to this hurting world. And this is, in Scripture, this is actually specifically connected with the return of Christ. Uh, One example is from Titus chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. It says, We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession who are eager to do good works. Eager to do good works. That's what Jesus expects from us, from the church. Are we eager? Because our fruitfulness in this life is dependent on how devoted we are for, to good works that meet pressing needs in our world. You know, so I'm thankful for uh, Marie who organized our food drive at our church. It was a great event for those of you who weren't there or didn't see the update. We had about uh, 40 donations, uh, four big SUV loads of food, went over to the food, p- food pantry over at Emmanuel Presbyterian. We had many people from the neighborhood, from the community show up as well and donate. That was really exciting. And I'm glad that Marie organized this because that's what the church is supposed to do, to, to spur each other on towards good deeds, to do something that we wouldn't do just on our own. So let's, let's organize some service and some evangelism, some things that do good in the world. We need that. You have to remember that Jesus said our end time evaluation, when we stand before his judgment seat, he's going to evaluate us on did we feed the hungry? Did we give water to the thirsty? Did we clothe the naked? Did we feed, did we welcome the stranger? Did we visit the sick and those in prison? You see, how we care for the least of these among us, it shows what's truly in us And it shows us if we've been saved because saved people, people whose hearts have been transformed by the love of God will care for those who are in need because God has so cared for us and poured his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says he'll be looking for this fruit when we stand before him on judgment day. So you have to ask yourself, is my life filled with good deeds for others? Is the, as, would you say your life is characterized by an eagerness to do good in this world, to do good in your neighborhood, to do good in your church, to do good things for other people? It's something that we should have an eagerness about us. And I confess, I'm not always eager to do good. I'm not. And I, I'm, I pray that God would give my heart an eagerness to always do good whenever I have opportunity. Lord, let that be so, I pray. That's number five, to practice good deeds eagerly. Number six is to purify yourself from sin. Purify yourself from sin. Now, I said a few points ago, pursuing holiness and godliness, that's like the positive qualities. Now, on the flip side, we still need to rid our lives from sin. You know, Peter, uh, Peter says in verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, to this day, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And if, if you thought following Jesus wouldn't demand very much of you, oh, you were sorely mistaken. 
It's a demanding. It is, Jesus says, if you want to save on to your life, if you want to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to find life, give up your life for my sake and you will find it. So Peter says, we are to pursue being spotless, blameless, pure. Don't even allow a spot of sin to come into your life. And this reminds me of the Old Testament sacrificial animals that uh, for those of you reading the Bible with us should have some uh, recent memory on. Uh, the Old Testament sacrificial animals, they had to be the most pure sacrifices. There could be no spot. There could be no blemish. There could be no defect. It had to be the choicest uh, from the flock to be given to the Lord. And in the same way, the Bible says our lives are living sacrifices. They had to be pure sacrifices, spotless, blameless, given over to the Lord. In fact, the Apostle John said the same thing in 1 John 3, 3. He says, everyone who has this hope of the end uh, purifies himself just as he, the, the Lord, is pure. So we have to ask, is there a sin that we, need to, that we need to repent of before Christ returns? So we need to purify ourselves from sin. That's number six. Number seven, we preach the gospel to all people. We preach the gospel to all people. Peter says in verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now, this delay that we have in Jesus' coming, it means that God is being patient with the world, wanting to see a multitude of people come to salvation in repentance. So that means that today, that right now, is the day of salvation. It's the day to announce that Jesus is king and he's made a way for eternal life. And that, we, yes, we all are going to appear, appear before this judgment seat, but we have a way of salvation. That's why Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, after, after he mentions the judgment seat, he says, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. We try to persuade people to accept Jesus Christ. Paul says we're ambassadors on Christ's behalf. We say to others, be reconciled to God. Because the reality is, if every single person on this planet is going to stand before Jesus, then the most loving thing that we can do for them is to share about Jesus with them and even persuade them to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So our, our church has been pursuing this, uh, doing more outreach together. And I think, we, you know, we still have room to grow in our passion for evangelism. Um, and we're, we're still growing in that area. I'm still growing in that area. But we want to be a part of a movement where every nation hears the gospel. Every person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question I have for you is, on this one is, how will the Lord evaluate your evangelism on that day? Well, what will he say about how you shared this news with others? Are you ready for that question? That's number seven. Number eight, we need to peruse the word of God regularly. Peruse the word of God regularly. Now, one of the main reasons that Peter wrote the letter of 2 Peter was to confront the false teaching that was happening in the church. Now, um, it's amazing because he mentions actually Paul's letters in verses uh, 15, 16, and 17. You can see that in the Bible if you're following along. And what's amazing is Paul's letters seem to be already taking root in the church as authoritative scripture. And so the apostle Peter says, in verse 16, that Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand. And everybody said amen. 
See, they contain things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. See, these teachers that were arising in the church, they wanted to satisfy their own desires for money, for power, for sex, and they were twisting the scriptures to say what they wanted them to say. And that's what happens still through this day. It's happened through all of church history. And so the Bible forewarns us about this over and over again. And so we have to be on our guard so that we too are not swept away and endanger our own salvation through it. So I believe it is imperative for you to read the Bible for yourself and to grow in your knowledge of Scripture. And I'm pleased that so many of you have made the commitment to read the Bible with us as a church, uh, as a church over a two-year period. Um, and so my encouragement to you is, gosh, we've been at it for uh, over half a year now. We're, we're a quarter of the way through. So great job. You've made it through the Torah. That's some hard reading. Keep going. Uh, don't grow slack on it. You know, and if you weren't here when we started and now you want to be, it's not too late. Jump back in at the end of the service. Fill out the digital connect card and say, yes, I want to be in on the Bible reading plan with the church. And we will get you connected to it and let you know what we're reading something we're doing together. Um, And we also have the Bible memory challenge going on, which is another wonderful opportunity for you to hide the word in your heart. Because we are a church where we believe that everything, everything is centered on God's word. It's one of our values. And when when I think about the connection to uh, Christ's return, I think about a quote from John Wesley that I would like to show you. John Wesley says, I am a spirit come from God, and returning to God. Just hovering over a great gulf, till a few moments hence I am no more seen, I drop into an unchangeable eternity. And Wesley's in eternity right now, right? And he says, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unius libri a man of one book. Gosh, that's, that's my prayer for myself too. Be a man or a woman of one book, the word of God. Fill your life with the word of God and you'll be ready to stand before Jesus Christ. That was number eight. Number nine, we need to personally grow in your passion for Jesus. Personally grow in your passion for Jesus. In verse 18, Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe personal knowledge of Jesus Christ is the most important one. It's the most important one. If you would have, if you would desire eternal life, that is the one requirement. Do you know him? Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as your Lord? Do you know him as your king? Do you know him as your friend? Do you know Jesus Christ? We start there, but don't be content with just where you started, with just having a knowledge about Jesus. No, we're to grow in our passion, in our relationship. And I have a fear that actually maybe some of us, we might even be behind where we first started with the Lord. In fact, Jesus said this to a church in Revelation. He says, remember the love you had at first, the love you had when you first started. And you came. It was, it was passionate and you were committed, but now you've, you've grown cold. You've let it become a ritual. 
You've let it become a routine. You're behind where you started. Oh, beloved, oh, dear friends, don't let that happen to you. Let me, let me, if I, if I could be, I have a pastoral word to you. Let me rouse you from your slumber. Are you sleeping or are you growing? Are you growing in Jesus Christ? Remember the love you had at first and repent while we have time. Keep growing in your love and your passion for Jesus. This is the most crucial thing when we stand before the Lord at that day. The Apostle John said the same thing in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. So now, little children, remain in him. Remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. See, if you're, if you're not growing in your relationship with Jesus, if you're falling away, if it's just becoming routine, when he comes, you're going to be ashamed. You're going to be ashamed of how you treated him. So John says, no, abide in him. Keep abiding in him so that when he comes, you may have confidence. Oh yeah, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. I know him. And I know he's coming for me. You'll have confidence when you remain in him. And that's one of our values. Everybody at our church, everybody walking with Jesus. And finally, number 10, we need to persevere until the end. We persevere, we endure until the end. Jesus says in Revelation 3 to one of the churches, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of, of my God. So friends, keep persevering. Do not give up. Paul said we press on to win the prize for which God has called us. And so if you are still alive, if you're listening to this sermon, God's not done with you yet, and you're not at the finish line yet. So keep persevering. Life, it's, it's not a time to check out, even if you're at the retirement stage. It's not a time to check out. It's a time to check in and to be awake to God's purpose for your life in this moment, in this season. So we persevere. Okay, phew, that was all 10 points. We made it through. But friends, I want you to take this so seriously. We really will stand before Jesus one day. That will be the most important day of your life. So I just want to ask you, is, is, there, is there one, two, or maybe three of these things out of these 10 points that maybe the Holy Spirit is already highlighting to you, is, is already bringing to your awareness, ooh, that, that's an area where I really need to pay attention. And so let me recap, and, and as I say these, you know, is there, is there one or two or three of these that the Lord is pointing out to you? So do you want to be prepared for Christ's return? Provoke one another in Christ. Ponder frequently that Christ will return unexpectedly. Pursue holiness and godliness. Put all your hope in his coming. Practice good deeds eagerly. Purify yourself from sin. Preach the gospel to all people. Peruse the word of God frequently. Personally grow in your passion for Jesus and persevere until the end.